Let's pray. Father, as we come to your holy word, we're going to see again that that is the call in our life to praise you. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Without your death and resurrection, ascension and reign, without you coming, Jesus, and living the perfect life and covering us with your righteousness, we could never bring you praise and glory. But because of what you did, and because of what you are doing, because of who you are and who one day we will see you to be in full, we have great hope. We're desperate though, Lord, and that's a good place to be. So open your word to us and feed us, Holy Spirit. Feed us deeply that we might be transformed even today. For your glory's sake, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The text that's printed in your bulletin is the text I'm going to preach next Sunday. <laughs> For those worshiping online, the text I'm gonna to preach today will show up, but I was led in a different direction yesterday morning. And that doesn't happen very often, and I wasn't looking to go in a different direction, but as I read Psalm 106, the Holy Spirit made it very clear that this is the passage that I want you to preach from. I love the text from Mark 5 as we enter back into the gospel. And the theme of that sermon or the title of that sermon is desperation and faith. The title for today's sermon is exactly the same. There's a reason I believe that the Lord took me here. It's amazing when we watch how the Lord puts a bulletin together. Just so you know, by the end of Wednesday, the bulletin is moving towards formation. My day off is Thursday, so I'm essentially done with that work as I go home on Wednesday night. But it's so interesting to watch the things that the Lord sometimes does, which we couldn't have seen ahead of time. One is the theme of this music, Praise the Lord, which is exactly how Psalm 106 begins, Praise the Lord. And it's exactly how Psalm 106 ends, Praise the Lord. Me reading Psalm 106 was just in my regular daily Bible reading. And it's where I was early yesterday morning when the Holy Spirit just illuminated my heart and mind and said, I want you to preach Psalm 106. Before I do read the psalm, I want you to know I'm going to read it in its entirety. It's around 750 words. Please don't spend time counting that right now. It takes about four minutes to read. But in those four minutes, it tells us the history of Israel's profound sin time and time again and the amazing and astonishing grace of God. And the reason I believe the Lord's taken us here is because we need to know how to think and speak always about the darkness that's around us, outside and inside. And Psalm 106 reveals to us again how incredibly sinful we really are and how unbelievable and incomprehensible is the love of God. So those who are worshiping with us online, that text will roll for you. You can follow along. For those who are here, you're going to really need to lean in unless you brought your Bible. But it's the way people heard God's word from the beginning. They simply heard it with their ears. So let's stand. For the reading of God's word, Psalm 106, it's the last psalm in the fourth book of our psalms. The 106th psalm. Praise the Lord. 
Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity, we've done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened up and swallowed them at Dathan and covered the company at Abiram. Fire also broke out their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf at Horeb and worshiped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. They murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. Therefore he raised his hand and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness and would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands. Then they yoked themselves to Baal of Peor and ate in sacrifices of the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stayed, and that was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation forever. They angered him at the waters of Meribah, and it went ill with Moses on their account, for they had made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples, as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hand of the nations so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes." 
and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. It's a very powerful hymn, a very powerful song, a very powerful piece of scripture. You could probably already sense why the Lord led us to this text today, but let's go deep with it. The burden that I feel as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a brother, as a pastor, as a shepherd, is to know how to help us speak about the things going on around us. How to help us speak about the things going on inside us. Desperation is a dangerous thing. To understand it though, you need to know what it means. To be desperate means to be very sad, worried, worried that little can be done, that little can happen. Desperation is a state of despair, despair being utter hopelessness, fear. Desperation is a state of despair resulting in rash, or extreme behavior. Desperation is what we often feel as people this side of heaven. And when you're in a place of desperation, like the two people we will see next week in Mark's gospel, you either turn to self and move towards your own power, your own ability, And what you experience is disbelief, disobedience, and destruction. It's what you're gonna see each time God's people, which we were just reading about, in the midst of their despair, where they turned. And when they turned to more of self, they became distrusting, disbelieving, and disobedient. And it led to profound destruction Despair also, though, can lead to the end of self. And when it leads to the end of self, we find a people submissive, surrendering, obedient, and full of life in the midst of all sorts of darkness. In this incredible psalm, the 106th psalm, you see unimaginable sin, but you also see incomprehensible love. It's not uncommon for someone in this pulpit to quote 
the late Jack Miller. He was a PCA pastor. Jack Miller used to say about sin and God's grace, cheer up, you're worse a sinner than you ever dared imagine. And you're more loved than you ever dared hope. He's right. Sometimes people will paraphrase that when you ask them how they're doing. How are you? I'm doing far better than I deserve. Some of you say that. It's a good statement. Some of you hear it. It's a good statement. But if it becomes something that's just so quick to leave our lips, we might not really think about the depth of why that statement is true. What I want to do this morning using Psalm 106 is I want to show you our history. I'm going to be talking only about the people of God, in which if you are in Christ, you are one of God's people. You are part of this heritage. And what the psalmist does in these, you know, four and a half minutes of reading and 48 verses is he shows us very clearly the way in which the people of God turned to themselves in despair, turned to more of self. And in doing so, they showed disbelief and distrust and disobedience and great destruction. And then the psalmist shows us something that's even more beyond comprehension, and that is God's continual covenant-keeping promise of love and grace. So friend, cheer up. Whatever you think about yourself and sin, whatever you think about others' sin, it is far worse than we can even imagine. And if you don't think that, I promise you're wrong. Because what we see here and roughly eight sins outlined in three particular parts of the history of Israel really is shocking. So let's begin. It's laid out this way. There's Israel's sin in Egypt, one specific thing mentioned, layered with two others. Then there is six sins of Israel committed while they're in the wilderness. And then there's a sin after they've entered into the promised land. Each of those are not gonna be points that I'm gonna spend a ton of time on, but I wanna encourage you to go to this Psalm this week and then move back into the Old Testament and see the narrative that encompassed it. A few of them I will unpack. So let's begin. The first one is in verses six and seven. After describing the goodness of the Lord, the call to praise the Lord, to give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever, the psalmist then says in verse six, both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity, we have done wickedness. One of the reasons we do a public confession of sin is that it acknowledges that we are a corporate body. There may be sins sometimes mentioned in our public confession that you're like, well, that, that wasn't necessarily a reality of my life this week, but it was with the connected body. And that's why it's a beautiful practice in our liturgy. That's why we also allow time for private confession for those specific things. The psalmist here is saying, we and our fathers have sinned. Friends, we have sinned. Our fathers before us, and sisters before us, and brothers before us, and mothers before us have sinned. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We've committed iniquity, and we've done wickedness. So what was the specific sin? 
Well, it was a sin of rebellion. Look with me at verse seven. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous work. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. So here's the scene. This people had been held captive and slave for so long. God had done so many miraculous things to show his power against Pharaoh. God had provided them a leader in Moses who was now leading them out after eventually Pharaoh's heart, so hard, so long, comes to a place of surrender where he lets them go. And now they're on their way out. Can you imagine the, the sense of what it's going to mean to be free, to no longer be making all these bricks and things for the great Pharaoh? But as they get to the Red Sea, desperation hits. Pharaoh's heart once again is hard, and now he's moving with his army towards the people. And when they see this vast army coming, this, this much more powerful group of people coming, in despair, they have an option to come to the end of themselves and trust and surrender and obey God or focus on self. Look for more of self. Don't trust. Don't wait on the Lord. Take matters into our own, our own hands. And as they do, they rebel. The rebellion is born out of forgetfulness. The psalmist says they forgot his works. Think about all that they had seen God do with the plagues. They had forgotten. They had forgotten his love. Those two things spoken of specifically here. We forgot his works and we did not remember the abundance of your God's steadfast love. So in that moment, they rebel. God's grace his greatness revealed again. Moses stands, the waters literally part. Friends, if you're new to our church, we believe this actually happened. We believe because of what God's word says that these two walls of water raised up and these people walked across dry land. That was moments before the bed of a sea and soon would be again. They got across that sea in desperation. They turn to themselves, but God's mercy is shown. They make it away all the way across. The waters come in and drown the enemy. And what do they do? They believe his word and they sing praises. Can you imagine those songs? But we're moving through the history of Israel, a history of God's people of sin, of oppression, of deliverance. Verse 13, but soon, now they're in the wilderness, but soon they forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and, to, and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. Here now we see the first of six sins committed in, the, in Israel. These are broad categories and much more minor, or not minor, uh, micro-specific sins are also revealed in the word of God. But these are major categories. So we see here the sin in verse 13 of lustful cravings. God's provision of manna day in, day out isn't enough. They grow weary and tired 
of what God's giving them. And the word tells us in verse 14, they had wanton cravings. It's another way of saying they had lust because of a discontent. And through this discontentment, they looked and said, we want something different. And they sinned. Verse 19 reveals another sin. While Moses is on the mount with the Lord, receiving his word, they grow weary of waiting. They're becoming desperate again. And when you become desperate, you either turn to more of self or you come to the end of yourself. In turning more to themselves, they go after Aaron and they basically begin to indict that we must have a God that we can worship. So the unthinkable begins to happen as one of the leaders of the people begins to authorize that an idol made in the form of an ox be created that they may worship something that eats grass. This is the people of God who had seen God's faithfulness so many times. Verse 24, you see the next sin in the wilderness. It says, then they despised the pleasant land. Having no faith in his promise, they murmured in their tents and did not obey. God had led them through this long journey. And now there they are on the edge of the promised land. And what do they see? They see a desperate situation. As the spies return, the report from some is that it's filled with lushness and fruit, but there is an enemy that is too great. The enemy's too great because they're turning to themselves in desperation. They're turning to their ability, their power, their army, instead of remembering the one that is leading them, the one that is their God. And when they turn to self, they doubt, they disbelieve, and destruction comes. As opposed to Caleb speaking about his God, who's more powerful than that army. In this rebellion, the sin of faithlessness is, is given. The promised land is seen, but the word tells us they had no faith in his promise, verse 25. Next, you see the fifth sin in the wilderness, and it is the sin of ungodly unions. Verse 28, then they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. This god of Peor, Baal of Peor, was a fertility god, which meant that these men, these men who were part of God's people, made union with women part of this unbelievable evil sacrifice. And God's people, once again, rebelled against his word. The sixth sin in the wilderness is in verse 32. It says, they angered him at the waters of Meribah, and it went ill with Moses on their account, for they made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with his lips. James Montgomery Boyce, the late wonderful pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church, said this is the sin of insurrection. This is the sin of a violent uprising revolting against their authority. And Moses in his flesh 
has had enough. And he sends. In a desperate situation, we either turn to more of self or we come to the end of ourselves. The people turn against Moses and rise up against him. The eighth sin, now present in the promised land that the psalmist identifies is in verse 34. They did not destroy the peoples, the other nations, as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. Now, I wanna read what they did. And I want to remind you that these are the people, God's people, God's chosen. And the sin that's committed here is the sin of apostasy. It is the sin of conforming to the pattern of the world and no longer following the one true God. And as they conform in this apostasy, what you and I can't imagine happening happens. Verse 37, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan in the land was polluted with blood. They became unclean in their acts, by their acts, and played the whore in their deeds. This is our history. This is the people led by God who in moments of desperation trusted more in self. You see, when we trust more in self, whatever we do next, we're doing because that's what makes sense to us. The very first missionary this church ever sent out, who's still serving on the mission field, often says to me when we have the privilege of meeting a couple times a year, Mark, when we feel overwhelmed by darkness, in my words, when we feel desperate, we close our eyes, we close our ears, and our minds go crazy. How could these people who through their history had been delivered by God so many times, had seen his power in so many ways, how could they ever get to a place where a mom and a dad would actually sacrifice their child, murder their child? How could it happen? Because sin is worse than we can imagine. Whatever you see happening in the world, what the word of God has to say as to why is the one document that makes the most sense. Sin is far more evil, far darker, far more heinous than we can imagine.
and our history tells us so. But there's something that is actually even harder to imagine. And that is time and time and time again, the one true living God shows mercy. And you saw it after each side, two things happen. One is understandable, there's judgment. One is understandable. God in his holiness and in his righteousness brings about chastisement, discipline. And by the way, he's just in doing that. He's a holy God. But the other thing he does is incomprehensible. He shows mercy. He shows grace. He shows love. He shows forgiveness. Verse 44, is, the psalmist is leading to the end. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. So eventually they were set free again. And then the psalmist moves to a petition. And this is our petition too. Because friends, you're gonna hear this next week through two different individuals coming to the feet of Jesus. We are desperate. And in our desperation, we're either gonna to turn to more of self or we're gonna to come to the end of ourselves. And when we come to the end of ourselves, then we will pray a prayer like this. Save us, O Lord our God. And gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Cheer up. You think you're a sinner. You're a worse sinner than you ever dared dream. Ever dared imagine. And you're more loved than you ever dared hope. People's history will continue. In this book, the New Testament comes as the new Adam comes. And this Jesus that we preach about and study about all the time is calling them to a radical form of discipleship and following him. And he begins to speak to them as we've seen through the Gospel of Mark, things that are radical and crazy, especially as he begins to talk about his death. And what's unimaginable to them is that God, in order to save his people, is going to sacrifice his own son. And just before he does, there's going to be a mob of people that rise up, and they're going to line the streets, and as Jesus comes riding on a donkey, they're going to shout praises. They're going to shout Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But soon after, they're going to be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Because sin is far darker than we can imagine. And on that cross, as he's being crucified, he says the incomprehensible, 
Father, forgive them. Before he went to the cross, he gathered with his disciples, as he often did, to explain things that were gonna happen. But on this night, it was the night of the Last Supper. And at the beginning of that meal, he spoke of one that was gonna betray him. And then he said, you all will scatter. I don't believe any of them thought that was possible. But they did. The most noted, Peter, who three times said when asked or accused, I don't even know the man. Cheer up, Peter. Your sin is far worse than you ever dared imagine. And the man you've denied's love is far greater than you could ever dare hope. And he meets that man, his savior again, on a shore. And three times Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The Lord's table is something that we continue to celebrate because he told us to. It's one of the sacraments that he's given his people. A sacrament is an outward invisible work of an inward invisible grace, which means that as we partake of it, God is doing a work in us, reminding us of his goodness, reminding us of our need for his death, his life, his resurrection, his reign, his promised return. And friends, this table is for all who are in Christ. Today, if you are a believer in Jesus and you're present with us and, and you know that you've trusted Christ, this table is for you. If you are not a believer, then we ask that you would not partake of the elements lest you eat and drink judgment on yourself, but consider deeply the things that you've heard today. And if these things make sense to you, then the response is to surrender your life to Jesus to ask for the forgiveness of your sins and to know that he alone can do that, to be set on that course of a life in Christ which will satisfy you every day and for all eternity. If that's something that you would like to talk to one of us about, we would love nothing more. If you're worshiping online, simply send us an email. We would love to talk with you. But friends, for us who are in Christ, we need this meal. And again, for those who are at home, if you would like to partake of the elements later today, these doors will remain open until two o'clock. We're gonna sing after I pray the first two stanzas of Power of the Cross. Then we'll partake of the elements and conclude by singing the final two. Dear friends, if you're in Christ, there is a security that you possess that is unlike anything else. Celebrate that. Father in heaven, as we get ready to partake of the elements, we want to sing of your glory and of your power. I pray, Lord, that as we do, that you would whet our appetites because of what we've heard, that we would be reminded of the horror of the sin that we can't even imagine committing, and yet it's our history and it's us. We also can't really comprehend without the amazing work of the Spirit that you love us so much 
So Lord, as we sing these words, would you move them simply from print on paper to songs coming from the depth of our heart and our minds to bring you praise and glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.